Well, if you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Esther. We'll be continuing our study, walking through the book of Esther, and we'll be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 this morning. A part of being a Christian is a truth that is really hard to fathom and to accept. That's not hard to understand, and it's actually very simple. And yet at the same time, though it's not hard to understand and it's very simple, it is also very profound. And the truth is this, we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. Now, before Christ, you know, I look at my life before knowing him, and really, that's all I did <laughs> was I, I hid. And, and really, before Christ, that's all you did. That's all we did is we hid. We were hiding from God, and we were hiding from one another because we had a lot to hide And we didn't want anyone else to know. We didn't want anyone to know just how bad we really are. And I think if we're honest here this morning, even as believers, it's still hard, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, we still struggle with this, this kind of desire and this feeling in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives that we just kind of need to hide away Because we have things that are in our lives that we feel like we need to hide and hide away from others. We just don't like to admit the truth that, yes, I am a sinner and I have sinned. And even harder, maybe, because we can just kind of hear that term sinner and get used to it and kind of goes by us. But admit that, yes... I really am that bad. And that's hard to admit, isn't it? (laughs) We don't like to think that of ourselves. We would like to think that I'm really a good person in the end of the day, you know. But if we're honest and we take the Bible for what it is, which is true, and as the word of God, we have to say, well, yeah, (laughs) I really am that bad. And so we hide it, perhaps even trying to hide the truth from ourselves, that we have sinned or we're living in sin in some way. You know, God, he knows you're not going to hide from him. He knows all that you've done. He knows all that you're doing. He knows what you're thinking right now. Maybe right now you're thinking, I need to go and hide somewhere before this sermon. (laughs) I don't want to hear this today. So I'm going to sneak out here in a few minutes. Maybe you're thinking that. Well, that's just another form of that desire, that struggle, that desire to hide. And so God, he certainly knows, but others, like all of us here, we may not know what you're doing or what you have done. Now, the thing is, as we give ourselves over to sin and hiding it and protecting it from others in their eyes, what begins to happen in your heart 
or in my heart as we do that is that sin, it begins to fester and it begins to grow and it begins to start boiling and eating away at us, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, it begins eating away at us like acid. And yet there we are and on we go living our lives as though perhaps maybe if I hide it well enough, it won't do all that. But friend, it is doing all that right now in your heart and in your life. And so this is not what God calls us to do. He would not have us to hide away our sin anymore. Instead, of hiding it away and acting like, well, maybe if I don't look at it or maybe if I ignore it, maybe someday it'll just be okay. Well, he would not have you do that here this morning. He would have the weary and the sin burdened and the consequences fearing bring their sin before the light of Christ. And there you will find the breath, you will breathe in the fresh aroma of glorious grace and relief and burdens will fall off just as you do. And so this morning, we have something of an unveiling before us. I call for you and I to no longer hide our sin nor to hide behind our sin, but to bring it before God, consequences and all, because they do come with consequences, but bring it. And so may you do this this morning, may you do this now, because this is exactly not what Haman did, as we will see. And so to see this, let's read here, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 7 of Esther. May God bless the reading of his true word. Amen. And so the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther, that you'll be granted you? And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. And then King Hazarus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. 
Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace gardens to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the wrath of the king abated. Now, so far, up until relatively recently in the book of Esther, all had been just fine for Haman, right? Fine and dandy, (laughs) as they say. It was all going well. Not going well for others, but in his mind, it was going well for him. I mean, just consider, he had been made second promoted to second to the king. So he had privilege, he had status, he had authority. And aside from Mordecai and all of the kingdom, everybody else was bowing and paying homage to Haman. And even his plot that he had brought to the king to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews was going according to plan. So everything was going his way. (laughs) It was all nice and fine. However, if you remember a few weeks ago now, or if you even look back here in Esther chapter 6, we see and we saw a reversal. And this reversal that happens as everything's kind of going his way, Haman's way, it comes not by the hand of Esther, though the book of Esther is named after Esther, does not come by the hand of Mordecai, nor does it come by the hand of King Ahasuerus. You know, not even a pagan does this come, but it does not come by any human hand even, but it comes by the hand of the living God. How did this great reversal come? Well, it comes and it came through something very, very small. And if you remember, what was it? Couldn't sleep. (laughs) Turns the whole thing around through something as insignificant as a sleepless night. The king could not sleep. And so God, through something so insignificant as that, 
he brings about his plans and his purposes. And as we saw, it was not through some mighty parting of the Red Sea. It was not through sending of plagues. It was not through the mighty miracles of God. But through a sleepless night. (laughs) You see the power of God in him bringing about his plans in whatever way he chooses. And none will stay his hand. And so we saw while people plot and plan, it's only God's plans and purposes that will endure. Even now. In our day. In the United States. In our nation. And so we see then with verses 1 through 6. We come here and seeing all this after a sleepless night, we come to a time then here to be shocked and dismayed. A time to be shocked and dismayed. Now, it doesn't begin this way, though, this chapter. Instead, what it begins with is it begins with another feast. So verse 1, and we've seen a lot of these so far, haven't we? I mean, we just can't stop talking about them, right? I mean, feasts, feasts, and more feasts. And so we saw feasts from the king in the plural, all to magnify his greatness in chapter 1. And then we saw a feast for the new queen in chapter 2. And then a feast held by the queen in chapter 5. And now the second feast held by the queen here. And so, wow, a lot of feasts, right? Now... That may not be important directly right now, but it will be important later. And so for now, we see that this is a time, as they're going into chapter 7, as they're doing all this, that this is a time of merriment. So all is good, and so that is the setting. All seems well. And that is very likely how Haman is thinking of all this right now also. You know, the, the feast, it might even have been for him a highlight for his day. I mean, he's thinking, man, that was really bad what just happened with Mordecai. I mean, that was immensely humiliating. The guy I hate most, I had to go around all the city and basically honor before everybody. And I had to do it. Well, at least I have this feast I can go to a little bit later, you know. Give me some relief, please, (laughs) you know? And so this is very likely what Haman is feeling and likely thinking right now, a reprieve with the feast here with the king and the queen. So something of a moment where he can let out a brief kind of sigh. Oh, you know? However... He is very wrong. (laughs) This would not be a reprieve for him, even in the slightest. Instead, what we see next is that all is revealed. All is revealed. And so at this point, the king's anticipation is at a fever pitch. And so Esther had kind of 
came into the king respectfully, wisely, humbly. And she could have died because she's going against the law. And yet he extends his golden scepter to her. And he wants to hear what she has to say. And so she says, okay, let me throw, I have a feast ready and waiting for you. Let's go. And they go. And then she says, oh, wait, I'm not going to tell you now. I'm going to tell you at another feast we're going to have soon. And so the king at this point, maybe that's why, could be another reason why he stayed up all night. (laughs) He was like, wonder what she's going to tell me. Wonder what her request is. And so he's wondering with great anticipation what she has to say. And so he's ready to hear her. And so he asks her again, as we see in verse 2, importantly, not with a diminishment, not even an iota of diminishment of favor towards her. He still extends favor towards her in this request. And so he has not moved from having a disposition of favor towards Queen Esther. And that we know. Haman doesn't. But that's not good news for Haman. (laughs) Whether he knows it or not. And he does not know it. (laughs) It's not good news. Now Esther, even though she might have favor of the king, which she does... What she's about to tell him is very, very tricky. And if you remember back when she went before the king before, it was very tricky then also. Well, this is just as tricky, if not even more tricky, than what it was before. She must balance a number of things here. She goes to the king. She must balance telling the king everything while not holding the king personally responsible for this big plot to kill her and all the Jews. Well, why would that matter? Because the king was in on it too. If you remember, Haman had to go to the king and ask him, hey, I got this this people I really don't like and and really you shouldn't like them too because they're going against your laws and -and so-and-so. And what do you think about just killing all of them? And the king's like, Go for it, Haman. Here's my signet ring. Go ahead and do what you want. And so here is Esther getting ready to basically go before the king and say, yeah, that plot, you know, that you said as well and agreed with, it's no good. (laughs) So you see what she's balancing? She's trying to balance going to the king, telling him everything. And very likely that whole idea that she is a Jew, which is probably not a good thing either in his mind, because the Jews generally were not looked highly upon either. And so she's balancing all of these things as she goes before the king. And so she treads carefully as she answers his question. And so she answers first by shocking the king. Now, I don't mean that she pulls out a stun gun and goes, you know, and gets them, you know, like, oh, surprising, you know, gotcha, king. That's not what she's doing. She doesn't pull out a stun gun, but she tells the king first that her own life is in danger. 
Now that will get his attention. And so she begins very, very wisely. And she says in verse 3 through 4 here, Let my life be granted for me for my wish. She sets her life first here. And then she goes on, And my people for my request, for we have been sold. I, there she is again, I've been sold, and my people to what? Repeating the wording of the decree exactly. To be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if you're hearing that and you're thinking, Esther, you're being selfish. I mean, you put yourself first there. You know, that's not good. You should have been my, my people and then you. Well, she's doing this for a reason. She's not being selfish here. She's magnifying what would cause the king the most alarm and the most question and the most concern such that when he hears her, he is at that point thinking, I mean, oh my, who has threatened the life of my queen? I mean, let me at him. You tell me who it is. So you see the wisdom in her answer here. She's not just jumping in and saying, here it is. Here's what happened. She qualifies her wisdom continuing. She qualifies that if it had been only enslavement, she would not have come to the king at all. She would not have said anything. She would have remained silent. And so here we see the wisdom of Esther. Again, she is a deferring to the king. She's deferring to his honor. She is deferring to his kingdom. Because if you remember back in chapter 1, the kingdom or the king is very much concerned about his honor, his greatness, people respecting him. Which Queen Vashti found out very quickly if what happens if you don't honor the king? And so, the king is very likely, which I think we can say he is, taken aback by all of this. And maybe, doesn't say he did, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if at that moment, physically in history, he stood up upon hearing all these things. And he asks her, verse 5, who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? Because the way she structured her request. And so she tells it all. And she answers both of his questions. Who? A foe and an enemy. Where? Him. That wicked Haman. And so now the cat is out of the bag. <laughs> this is one of those moments. Have you ever been in one of these? I know I have. Maybe you, you get in trouble or you put your foot in your mouth or something like that. But if you're Haman, you wish that you could be anywhere else in the world than right there at that moment. I guarantee you that is the way he's feeling. Like, 
is there somewhere I can run? But if I run, then the king's going to think, ah, yeah, she's right. And then the guards are going to get me. I mean, what can I do? I'm going to have to sit here. So very uncomfortable, I'm sure. But certainly at this point, there is no more hiding. No more hiding for Haman. No more hiding for Esther. No more hiding for anyone. But see how wisely Esther addressed the king. How wisely she navigated these terribly complex, in this terribly complex situation. Well, like Esther, I think we all could say here that we need wisdom too in our day. This is one reason we walked through the book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights recently. It's because I think all of us raised our hand, or at least we could raise our hand, saying, God, please give me wisdom in our day because I need it. And so we need wisdom as we engage the world as well. Now, if you remember, remember the background here. Esther, she was steeped in pagan culture. Everywhere around her are false gods. People are worshiping false gods everywhere around her in the palace. Around her, her servants are worshiping false gods. The attendants, the eunuchs, everyone. And so false worship is the world she lives in. She was exiled among the nations. Now, if you hear all that, does that sound familiar? (laughs) It should. Because that's where we are right now. We're all where Esther is right now. Everywhere around us. False worship outside the church. Even within the church. Idols and false worship of all kinds. So it's not all that different from you and me today. We need to be ready as we engage the world, a world like that. And what the world needs is not more of itself. It does not need more of its own message. It does not need more psychology. It does not need more of its secular philosophies. And the whole thrust of secularism today. It does not need that. The world needs a people, a people who really know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as perfect people. Because that's not what you are. That's not what I am. But people, as we sin or as we mess up, people who are real and say, yeah, I sinned, but your answer is not me. It's him, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people the world needs. 
wisdom, true wisdom, and hear this, especially if you are in school right now, if you're going to college, or if you will be going to college, children, you're going to be going to potentially going to college in the years to come. You need to know right now, children, college students, students, that wisdom, true wisdom, is bound to God. The universities and colleges, high schools, and so on, they are not going to set before you the wisdom of God. So you must go into them, being the people of God, looking to the wisdom of God. It is from him and to him and for him that we give a reason for the hope that is in us. Like First Peter tells us, you want to know how you are to live in exile? That's how Peter begins, First Peter, for the exiles, talking about you. This is not your home. America's not your home. Rome's not your home. Like Rome that fell, that lasted longer than really a lot, a lot of empires. This is what Peter tells us. Verse Peter 3, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with harshness and meanness and all the evil tweets you can possibly give. Send an evil or send a mean email and tell it just like it is. Wait. Oh, wait. It doesn't say that, does it? Hmm. Maybe we shouldn't do that then. Right? A defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, because you will be, for following Christ, which is what he says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So you and I need that sort of wisdom as we engage with the world. And we need wisdom as we face complex situations. And I think you would agree with me that Esther's situation was rather complex. (laughs) A number of things that she had to address and deal with Yet this story in Esther, it is not a secular story. We need and must remember that behind Esther, behind all of this, behind the ultimate deliverance of the people of Israel, who was it? Not Esther, not Mordecai, not King Ahasuerus, not Haman, not the eunuchs. God. So in the same way, Jesus, he has not left us alone today. 
to figure out how to face the world's complexities on our own, which I think we might, many of us, might just be doing just that. Let me go everywhere else except for what God has given for me to know wisdom, to find guidance, to know the direction I am to go. And where is that? He has given us his word and his spirit, and they go like this. Word and spirit, intertwined, interconnected, not one divorced from the other, the spirit of God in us, bringing to mind the word of God as we face life and challenges and living. Hey, why don't you go witness to that person? Oh, I should because Matthew 28, right? Go thee therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to deserve, deserve all that I have commanded you, right? Right in line with the word of God. Go talk to Stanley over there. And so you obey. And so on in your life. Word and spirit. And it is so easy to be enamored with everything new and trendy and not just to do the simple thing and take up the word of God and read and to get alone on our faces before God and pray. Maybe as we're facing the complexities of the world and as we're struggling and wrestling with them and we don't know what to do, let me ask you, have you done this? Could it be that we lack wisdom in public because we get so little wisdom in private? If we are godless in private and we are drawing from empty wells, why would we expect it to be any different when we face the complexities of the world? And so, friends, brothers and sisters, let me urge you and I to dive deep into his word, commune, not with the God who is dead, but the God who is living Commune with him because in Christ, did you know, you have that privilege. You can draw near the throne of grace with confidence today, right now, during this sermon. So love him. Live in his word. Live out his word. Learn from him Pray and arise and face our day by the great grace of the great and the glorious and the living God. So we can face the complex situations of our day. And we need wisdom as we share the gospel. As we share the gospel. Yes, we're living in different times. They're not the good old days. If they're, and let me just say, there really weren't any good old days. I mean, Genesis 3 onward, not good old days. So the good old days were 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. 
We're not there anymore. And so we are living in different times, but people's need, it has not changed. It's the same as it has always been. They are dead, they are lost, they are broken, and they are in need of the one and the only Savior. The complexities of today and the issues of our day need to be brought under the light of God's word. Always. Times have changed, but God's word, the gospel, is still true. The story the world is telling is not true. It's ours that is true, and it is this story that the world is desperately in need of hearing. And God, He calls you to go and take it to them. He calls me to go and take it to them. You add any complexity, does not matter. He still calls us to go and tell them. Even if it's when you're surrounded by false worship, false gods, and no one maybe is on your side. And so we've seen the shock and dismay in these first verses, and now we come to a time for wrath. A time for wrath. So after hearing all of this, we see the king's confused anger. So why confused? Well, the king, he does not have his advisors around this time. (laughs) If you remember, throughout the book of Esther, he's heavily reliant on his advisors. In fact, that is behind everything that he has done so far, even his advisor, Haman. And so he is confused. And so what does he do? He does like someone who is confused and angry, and he gets up and he walks off, you know. Ah, I don't know what to do. Ugh, get, get away from everybody and figure it out, you know. And so he goes away and he's absolutely furious and absolutely doesn't know what to do. He probably has all that stuff we saw when it comes to like the plot and all that going through his head as well. And the fact that Haman was his secondhand man and that after they gave this plot, they went and drank together. They were drinking buddies. And so he is confused and furious at Haman. And Haman knows it. Verse 7, he he recognizes he is in trouble. (laughs) This is not good. The king is mad at me. And so what comes next then is Haman falls Haman falls. And I don't just mean like fall as in downfall. I mean, that happens. But he falls in multiple ways here. So let's see this. It's kind of a play on words. You look at these verses. He, he falls literally down before Esther to beg her for his life. So we have the literal aspect. He, he actually falls But more's going on there, and the author is even saying, oh, you see what's going on. So he fell literally, but he also, he falls down before her, an irony of ironies, 
Who is her? Who is she? A Jew. Irony of ironies. While Haman would not accept Mordecai not bowing down to him, now Haman is falling down before Esther, a Jew. And it's a play on words in another way as well. You remember his friends and wives said back in chapter 6, verse 13, that he would surely fall. Well, now he has. And so the end of Haman has come, and he knows that he is in deep trouble, but it is absolutely too late. The consequences of Haman's sin are great. And behind the judgment that is coming is not just King Ahasuerus's, but God's. And so when the king, he finds Haman falling upon Esther, he wasn't actually assaulting him. But I think this tells us something, or he wasn't actually assaulting Esther, But I think this tells us something about what the king, how confused he was. He's just wanting some reason to get rid of Haman that doesn't directly like point to the fact that that plot was the reason. Oh, you're trying to hit her. (laughs) You're going down, Haman, you know. And so he sees this and he makes this reason up here. that now it's time for Haman to die. And so the very gallows Haman built for Mordecai would be used for his own death. Now, when you hear that, you might be thinking like gallows, like hanging someone by the neck, by a noose, and dying. Well, that's not what this is talking about here. That's not the kind of gallows this is. These were gallows that a person would be taken, and they would be taken and impaled upon it. And hang there for all to see. And don't forget, or lest you forget, it was 75 feet high. And so there Haman would hang for all to see judgment upon him. And so it was too late for Haman. But friends, it's not too late for us. And for you. It is for you and me, as we began this morning, to deal honestly with ourselves and our sin this morning. Don't hide it, because you're going to want to, and you're going to try to even, perhaps. So what you need to do is not follow Haman, but to confront your sin now. Confront your sin now. Haman's sin was grievous. But whether your sin may be big, and it could be, or it's small, we must not hide our sin nor hide from our sin. You see, sin, it has many roots and shoots It goes out, and what it begins doing as it gets into your life and its webs begin going out and taking over various parts of your heart, your mind, your life, your words, 
It begins sucking everything else dry. And the more that we water it and water it and give to it, the more that it grows and the stronger its grip begins to have on us and on our hearts and on our lives, perhaps on your family and beyond. Maybe even your children and your grandchildren and their children after that because you said you want to continue in your sin right now. And so friends, confront it now. Don't leave it off consequences or not. And there very well, very likely will be consequences for your sin. And honestly, there probably already are. You just maybe don't see it. But confront it. You will want to keep it hidden, but don't. It breeds and it abounds in the dark, and so it must in order for, for freedom and for these chains to be broken, it must be brought out into the light of Christ. And there, even when maybe you face the consequences of people who now know you have been doing something or had said something, or something else, you will know that before God, you are doing the right thing. And you will find relief and forgiveness through Christ. As Megan read a moment ago, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not in saying you don't have sin. In bringing it out to the light, you will find forgiveness and grace and help. So confront your sin now and also confront wisely the sin of others. You heard me right. Confront wisely the sin of others. And I know that probably lands hard on your ears. I mean, confronting sin in others is not easy. I mean, we don't go into it like, this is going to be the best part of my day, you know? We don't, we don't do that. You know, this is, I mean, this is not the way we're thinking of it. Yet we see that Esther, this is what she did. In the end, that's what she was doing. She was confronting sin. And she had to. How great was Haman's sin and what disaster fell upon him And friends, what disaster might fall upon your brother or sister if they continue in the sin that they are walking in also? And so before the Lord, love compels us to speak. And so may we learn from Esther and do so wisely, thoughtfully, and carefully. Why? Because... Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Now that, that should be rather scary for us in some ways. Especially if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning. Now justice is different from grace. It's different from mercy. 
Justice is God's rightful wrath expressed against violations of his holiness. The world may have all sorts of standards, but their standard is not your standard. Our standard, and whether the world likes it or not, the standard they will be judged by is God's holiness. Do you see why this can be a fearful thing? And so justice then is coming on two fronts. And the first is this, justice is coming for our crimes against God. This is why our taming of sin is so utterly fearful. Like saying that sin is not sin, which is what we kind of like to do. I mean, I'm saying we've always been doing that. We try to justify sin. You know, as Isaiah kind of says, you know, woe to those who say, you know, good is evil, evil is good. We've been doing that for a long, long time. But it's fearful thing. Our sin is not general. It is not harmless. It is not neutral. Whenever we sin, it is always first, and we ought to cry over this and even grieve over this, it is first and foremost against God himself. And we have all sinned against him. This is why consequences here and now should not be our main concern. We may well avoid earthly consequences, yet not one of us will avoid the heavenly courtroom of God. When God's justice is laid down, there is a finality to it, and there is no going back again. There is a period at the end of the sentence, and there will be nothing you can do. So justice is coming for our crimes against God. And then second, justice is coming for our crimes against one another. And God, he knows both. (laughs) When we sin, we do it. He's not responsible for what you do. Haman was responsible for his sin against the living God. Pharaoh in Exodus was responsible for his sin against God. And it hurts us, but it often hurts others either now or will later. I mean, we, can, we can already kind of see this in our lives. I mean, you just think of even the lesser sins, if you can call them that. I mean, one sin separates us from God, but all even like the lesser sins in our capacity, our thinking, you know, like maybe even just think of those like your anger, your impatience, you know, your, your fears, your anxieties, and more. I mean, how have those affected those around you already? I mean, think about your children like, oh, yeah, My child is seeing me getting grumpy and angry and being impatient. And they're learning that too. So if you think that just getting angry at the dinner table and, you know, being impatient or with a waiter or waitress as your son or daughter looks on, oh, okay, so it's okay to do that. 
you see then how our, even our lesser sins, they just go out and they begin affecting not just you, but others as well. And then extend it out even farther. What about bigger sins like pornography, adultery, lies, greed, control, slander, hatred? We see that here in Esther, murder, shootings like we've been seeing around our country persecutions we've been seeing all around the world, tyrants. You see how wide the damage can be. So we cannot and we do not and we must not say that our sin is harmless because it's not. And so let's be honest. At this moment, As you hear all that, are you overwhelmed yet by your sin? I know I am. (laughs) Are you perhaps maybe even hiding from it right now? You're saying, I do not want to see this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want the consequences of this. And so what then can the overwhelmed do if you're overwhelmed right now and maybe you're tempted to hide it? Where is our hope? Well, the overwhelmed, all of us need to see that propitiation has come. Propitiation has come. Maybe after hearing all of this, it made you want to hide. Maybe right now that's where you are. Let me tell you, don't hide. Whatever your sin might be, don't hide. That is not to be your and my response this morning. What you and I are to do is we are to bring our sin, to bring your sin before him who came to bear God's just wrath for your sins upon himself. Like the king's anger was appeased here in Esther when Haman was hanged on a tree, God, he would send his very own son to be hung on a tree that his son would bear your just punishment in your place. Jesus He came as the one to bear the wrath of God upon himself on the tree. That's why we sing in songs like in Christ alone on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. In the midst of all this, these feelings, these emotions, this sin, this desire of ours, maybe to hide. Romans 3, it says, 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus came to bear the wrath of God in your place. Justice is coming. Yet Christ came to be the one who bore all of your sin and shame, your unrighteousness, your ugliness upon himself for you. So in hearing all of this this morning, Let me urge you, there is no more need to hide, friends. You can bring your sin before the Lord of glory, before the light of Christ. Your sin may be great this morning, but he came for that sin. And so if you are here this morning struggling with sin and struggling with self and struggling with the reality of this terrible weight, bring it all before and to Christ right now and be freed this morning. Take it all and go to Christ because... Your hiding place is not in the places you have put your sin. but Your hiding place is Christ. He is our hiding place. So go and no longer hide and walk wisely as those freed through him who paid it all for us. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we come. We pray right now for every single one of us, and we just lift up our lives. And it may mean that you're calling us to just simply pray and humble ourselves there in our pews, or maybe coming up here and praying on the steps. Or maybe someone here is does not know Christ, and we pray even now that they would see and hear, as they have heard all of these things and they would look to Christ, the one who came to save them. And so help us, Lord, to consider seriously your word this morning if that means obedience in some way. Maybe we have said that we will not do something or we would not 
put away a sin, that means the obedient act would be to repent and to confess our sin to you and maybe to others also. Or it could be we've said no to you many times to go on to the mission field or to go into ministry or to be a pastor or maybe membership or even baptism. But may our answer this morning be yes. And so help us, Lord. Help us not hide anymore, but go to the one who is our hiding place, to our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.